0: Hey everybody! Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by Carlos Colazo, BA's resident draft expert. Carlos, we are less than three months away from the draft, which is kind of crazy. On the one hand, it feels so far away, but in reality, it's really not.
1: Yeah, no, we're 87 days away exactly as we record this podcast on a Friday morning, just before week four of the college season. Uh, It's a fun time around here in the office. We're making a lot of calls around all parts of the country. We're going to see games. It's always fun for me, Uh, and I know draft season is heating up when I see guys like yourself and J.J. Cooper and Teddy Cahill who are starting to kind of jump into the the draft reporting because I know, okay, it's go time. Uh, We're kind of in the thick of it right now. Um, there's been some movement on boards. We're preparing right now to expand to our top 300 draft prospects list, and that comes with an update to the top 200 that's already published on the site now. Uh, and there's going to be some significant changes when that comes. We're continuing to do some reporting for that over the next few weeks, but excited for that. And uh, really, this draft class, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a lot different than last year's, which is fun for me, uh, just because it's kind of a different composition of guys at the top than last year. Last year was very pitcher-heavy, obviously. I know in the top ten there were, there were a lot of hitters, but uh, this year it is very different, so I can kind of jump into it and talk about it, but yeah, we're I mean, in the bulk of things right now.
0: Yeah, you know, right now uh, a little tease ahead at what's coming up, but um, you look at our kind of internal documents, and, and in some cases you could argue the top 10 prospects in this draft are all position players.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that would be perfectly fair. Now we'll see what happens when we kind of send our prelim list around for feedback. But the one question that I've got from, from many people as we do draft chats and just kind of on Twitter and stuff is who's the, who's the pitcher who's kind of stood out for himself and is the top of the class. Entering the year, uh, it was Duke lefty, Grimm Stinson, just kind of by default because of this stuff. Uh, but he, didn't, he hadn't really proved that he could kind of hold his starting role, hold his stuff, pitch deep in the games. And I think while it is still early, uh, he has not proven that. There are maybe even more questions now. Last week uh, he pitched effectively, but his stuff was down. Uh, I know that was a big concern for some scouts. He was more uh, upper 80s than low to mid 90s than he normally is. So there are some questions there. There are some other pitchers like Tyler Dyson with Florida who've struggled a little bit. Uh, who kind of entered the season as the presumptive favorites. Right now, maybe the top guys are, are high school right-handers Daniel Espino and Brendan Malone in some order, or Texas Christian lefty Nick Lodola, who has been one of the, the few really good starters at the college level uh, when we're talking about the kind of the top-tier guys entering the season. He's taking the ball every game. He's missing more bats early this season. He's giving up fewer hits, so that is encouraging. But yeah, if you if you were to ask me right now, like who is a top ten arm, I don't know if I could confidently give you a name.
0: And some of that is because we've had some some big risers, particularly on the college position player mm-hmm. side. But I, I want to start with two guys who have been at the top yeah. for a long time: Adley Rutschman, the Oregon State catcher, mm-hmm. and Andrew Vaughn, the Cal first baseman. Two guys out west that have just been putting up insane numbers to start the year. Again, still early, a lot mm-hmm. of time left, but you talk about two top draft prospects with a lot of pedigree, showing evaluators exactly what they wanted to see. So far, they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a long time, Adley's kind of been this default number one, yeah. again, catcher, switch, switch hitting catcher, power, defense, everything's there. Mm-hmm. Andrew Vaughn is putting up the kind of numbers. And again, you look at it on paper, say, 5'11", first base only guy versus right, right. a switch hitting yeah. catcher. Like, there's no question who's going number one. Mm-hmm. But for those scouts out West watching games, they've been the early feedback has been, it's not insane just from a talent perspective to think Andrew Vaughn is a number one caliber player, profile aside, mm-hmm. just because the bat is so prolific. What would it really take for Andrew Vaughn to leap Adley Rutschman?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it would, it would just take him continuing to hit at this level. Right now, after 10 games, <laughs> Andrew Vaughn is hitting 529 with a 680 on base percentage and a 1.176 slugging. I don't even really know how to say that slugging percentage on a podcast just because you rarely see four-digit slugging numbers. But he's got 15 walks to five strikeouts. He already has seven home runs, which is ludicrous. He has seven home runs in 10 games. Uh, I mean, he's on an absolute tear. Like you said, it's early. It's only only 10 games. But as we talk to guys out west who have seen him, I have had scouts tell me that they think he should be the 1-1 over Adley Rushman. And at this point, because we're, we're still doing the reporting, Adley is still our 1-1, and he's probably still the favorite just because we haven't had a first baseman, a college first baseman go 1-1 since Pat Burrell in the 90s. I think it was 1998. And Pat Burrell and played a lot of outfield. he played third base and some other positions in college. Right, and he was
0: an outfielder in the majors. There's not a sense exactly. that Andrew Vaughn can Andrew do Vaughn that. Andrew Vaughn
1: has much less defensive versatility than that, but if you think his hit tool and his power tool, which I've gotten scouts who think it's legitimate 80 power, easy power to all fields. I mean, he's sending balls out to right field that look like a left-handed batter came out there and slugged it to, to right field. But if you think his bat is that much better and you're picking 1-1, especially if you're an American League team that really first base, maybe even DH down the line, it's not gonna be an issue. If you really buy the bat, it's not crazy to think that that's gonna be more valuable than a guy like Rutschman who, at catcher, I mean, it is tough. It's tough, to get, uh, it's tough to get 160 games out of a catcher. You're gonna get more ABs with a first baseman or a DH, obviously. So if you think it is that much better, then yeah, you can make a solid argument. I would have been surprised to hear any player kind of supplanting Adley for this 1-1 spot, and I I think it might still be too early to say Vaughn is supplanting him, but there are some whispers here, and Vaughn is really uh, performing with the bat. Now, Adley's performing as well. As of this moment when we record the podcast, uh, Oregon State has played 11 games, and Adley Rutschman is hitting 343, 540, 800. He's got 15 walks to eight strikeouts, and he's already hit five home runs, which uh, is more than halfway to his nine home run total from last year. So he's really doing everything. There are no there are no slips in the reports that we're getting from Adley Rushman at this point, and I still think because of the switch hitting, because of the catcher, because he's a very, very good catcher, he doesn't just sit back there um, for nine innings and then hit for you. He is an outstanding defensive catcher. I, th- I still think he is a favorite, but Andrew Vaughn is making this interesting, and in a draft class where Adley has kind of been our locked-in consensus one-one favorite since last summer, uh, it's kind of fun and it's exciting, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what scouting directors and national cross checkers are saying and are going to say in the next few weeks about kind of where this stands.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Andrew Vaughn has, uh, you know, he's Cal's played some decent competition. St. Mary's is a good program. Mm-hmm. Cal Poly is a good program, but they play LSU this weekend. Yeah. Then they have a home series against USC who who has some guys and mm-hmm. then they go to Oregon State. So
1: and the, LSU and on a lot of these teams as you're mentioning have some really good arms right. that I know scouts are going to be looking forward to see to seeing Vaughn match up against them. So it will matter more for him to start doing this in conference play, obviously. You didn't not to knock the non-conference teams they played cuz those are solid programs, but just as you continue to get a bigger sample uh, and see what he does. But it's not to say that this is the only time Vaughn has ever hit like this. I mean, he has an outstanding track record of hitting. It's really, it's really crazy. The other day, He was our top prospect for Team USA last year during mm-hmm. the summertime. The other day in a draft chat, I got a couple questions about Vaughn. There, there were several questions about him just because he's hitting that well, uh, comparing him to some guys like um, Alex Bregman, Nick Senzel, and Chris Bryan in college. And if you look at his numbers over the first two, and, two years and, well, I guess, what? fifth of the season this year. They stack, I mean, it blows Alex Bregman and Nick Senzel out of the water, just college productive numbers. It's much more comparable to Chris Bryant, and if he keeps hitting like this, this season, you could probably even say it's a better overall statistical resume than Chris Bryant, which is really, really impressive.
0: And the other part of that, too, is on a you know macro basis, he's played tougher teams, Cal being in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. U- USD being in the West Coast Conference. Now, USD scheduled very aggressively. Yeah. They played a lot of good non-conference teams, but you know, when you take the total sum of who they're facing within mm-hmm. conference, which is the bulk of all these guys' mm-hmm. games, Vaughn has played on average eight, you know, against tougher competition than Bryant did.
1: Yeah, and he's doing it while striking out less. I mean, the one knock on Chris Bryant, and correct me if I'm wrong, at the time was always the strikeout. I, at so least through a was was
0: sophomore, he like, kind of fixed it his junior exactly, year, but up through a sophomore but that, year, was that was was
1: one knock. little knock on his offensive profile that you could say, oh, he's really good at everything, <laughs> we wish he struck out a little bit less. And maybe that's just, oh, here's something where he could improve. With Vaughn, I mean, including uh, the 10 games this season, he has a 14% walk rate and an 8.5% strikeout rate that's insane with power with an innate feel for hitting Uh, he's always comfortable in the batter's box it's never he's never he's not ambushing pitches to drive him out it's he's just on everything uh and he's a very special bat so I mean we'll see how that kind of plays out but as of right now he's kind of done everything you wanted him to I guess ideally you, you would have him go over and show he can play third base or something but offensively this is the real deal
0: with uh, four of the top five picks, well, I should say the top three picks and four of the top five in 2019 coming from American League teams yeah. as well, there's there's not really a question that these guys are going to go top five and they'll probably go one, two.
1: Yeah. I think it's
0: just going to be interesting to see as as mm-hmm. the year goes on. Again, a lot of things can still happen. There's a lot of games left to be played. Yeah.
1: Another thing that's but, interesting ow. with this is, and I know you don't draft on need and you don't draft on where you're at, but with the Orioles situation, drafting Vaughn, would just be strange from a timeline perspective because I've talked to some guys who think Vaughn could be the first guy up and imagine if you're the Orioles and you're drafting Andrew Vaughn and he's up within a year I mean you're putting him on a team that's pretty bad you're not really lining up a lot of talent around him and maybe you say don't worry about that just get the best players and figure it out later but that will be kind of an interesting little wrinkle to figure out after the fact after we figure out obviously what they do we still are three months away as you said but it would be very hard at this point to see Vaughn falling past three at this point for me with the White Sox. I, don't, I would be surprised if a bat this good didn't go in the top three picks.
0: There's some very talented high schoolers in this class. Bobby Witt, mm-hmm. CJ a- Abrams, Riley Green, Corbin Carroll. Mm-hmm. Are the two college guys a, a tier above at this point? And not, to, not as a knock on the mm-hmm. high school guys, just as a testament to what the college guys have done. Is there now a clear cut? Because for a while, it felt like Bobby mm-hmm. Witt was kind of in the convo with those two college bats. Now yeah. it kind of feels, at least from the outside, like those two college bats have kind of put themselves into their own
1: tier. Uh, potentially. I'm curious kind of to see, again, what, what teams and scouting directors think here in the next few weeks, if that's the case. Um, personally, from my, just from my perspective, this isn't anything I've gotten from scouts or, or the industry, I still think that the ceiling of guys like Bobby Witt and C.J. Abrams should still have them in consideration. And because they both have a chance to play shortstop, and, and, and particularly with Bobby Witt, because I think he is a no-doubt shortstop at the Major League level in the future, I, th- I, I still think, even despite all the stuff we're talking about with Andrew Vaughn and his hitting, I still think Bobby Witt has the highest ceiling in this draft class. he's a guy and I've said it over and over again I'll continue to say it who has plus tools across the board so if he does hit there have been a few questions about his true hit tool and that's fair but he hit over the summer with impact he hit with USA uh, the 18U team with impact during the fall this spring I was talking to some scouts and some cross checkers recently he's been the same Bobby Witt this spring so a lot of people and I've even got some questions about some negative reports about Bobby Oh, he's not doing that well, he's doing just fine. I mean, if you want him to be the best player in the world every single time you see him offensively, that's not gonna happen with any player, but he will always impact the game, whether that's with his running ability, whether that's with his defensive ability, whether that's with his hitting ability, but he's still the same Bobby Witt. I think if you believe that he's going to hit, he's gonna play a plus defensive shortstop, he's a plus runner, he's got plus power. That overall package is still enticing to me, and if a team thinks, if a team is convicted in his his hit tool, uh, you really can't go wrong with Bobby Witt, in my eyes, even with Adelaide Rushman and Andrew Vaughn in consideration here. So I think in C.J. Abrams, he's done pretty well this year. He's gotten a little bit more physical, maybe a less chance uh, to stick at shortstop. Maybe he's a, a plus center fielder in the future with top-of-the-scale speed. Um, but I think all those guys for right now, until I hear otherwise, I'd say they're probably in the same tier. Um, but it, you just feel a little bit safer when you're when you're talking about college hitters. You just have that extra track record against better pitching. So.
0: And, in, and in fairness, it's also not like these guys. You know, sometimes we run into this mindset of, oh, the college guys just safe for the high school guys the yeah. higher ceiling. There's plenty of college guys with enormous ceilings, MVP calibers, Cy Award exactly. winners. And, and yeah. not saying that these guys are future mm-hmm. MVP winners, but these guys are college guys with plenty of ceiling mm-hmm. too. So it, it'll be interesting to see how how it all shakes out again. A lot of games left to be played. Two of the biggest risers in the draft, again, still very early in the season, but mm-hmm. first impressions can go a long way. Two college position players, Missouri outfielder Cameron Meisner, UNLV shortstop Bryson Stott. Both of these were guys who were already considered, you know, first round potential talents mm-hmm. coming into the year. It's not like they came out of nowhere. Yeah. But now they're almost being seen just in, in early conversations with scouts as, hey, not only is this guy gonna be a first rounder, mm-hmm he might be a top 10 first rounder. Take us through kind of their rise. And I know I spoke with someone about Stott yesterday and it was all positives. I know you've Mm -hmm. gotten a lot on on that and Meisner as well. What have been the biggest factors in getting these two guys into that next echelon of not just first rounders, but potentially top 10
1: picks? Yeah, no, I think you hear about it every year. Uh, You mentioned it earlier on the podcast, but just, just college hitters, tend to rise as the draft cycle goes on. Once these guys kind of come out and prove that they, they can hit and they're doing it. Uh, Meisner is interesting because he's a guy who was injured last year, only played around 30 games. He was dealing with a minor injury. And this year, he's been healthy. He started all 11 games uh, for Missouri and he's hitting 405, 537, 595. And I think what kind of separates him uh, or, or makes him look really good in this class is there are not a ton of college outfielders, especially Uh, of the middle outfielders. Now I don't think that Meisner is going to be a center fielder at the next level. Um, But the impact and the tool set that he has with his um, performance at the college level is going to entice a lot of teams. Uh, I've talked to some scouts who think he has 70 raw power in the tank, uh, and that kind of impact with the hitting ability he's shown. Because even in his shortened season last year, he put up very impressive numbers. It was just not a full season of it. So I think he's definitely putting himself into that top 10 uh, consideration at this point just because of what he's doing and then uh, Bryson it with the Nevada Las Vegas uh, he is the guy at UNLV we write it as Nevada Las Vegas sorry if that was confusing to you guys but, but Bryson Sott over the summer there were some concerns that he was maybe kind of a slap and dash kind of hitter, uh, wasn't driving the ball for a lot of impact though his numbers at UNLV his freshman and sophomore seasons were really good he entered the year uh, as our preseason conference player of the year uh, and this, so far, and you, you can tell me what you've heard about him too since you've made some calls, but he's impacting the ball, and he's hitting the ball with authority to all fields. There are still some questions about whether or not he's going to play shortstop. I've talked to some guys who think he might be a better fit at third. He's kind of a, a thicker guy, so maybe he adds some weight and gets a little bit more physical and is an above-average third baseman for you down the line. But everyone who drafts, anyone who drafts him is going to run him out at shortstop and give him a chance. I think he's got... Uh, the glove work and the arm strength to stick there, uh, depending on how quick he kind of is at the next level as he continues to develop physically. But offensively, it's been very good. Uh, and if you have a, a college shortstop who's hitting with impact with a chance to stick there uh, and has shown a pretty good hit tool, as Sada's continued to show over his three seasons, uh, that's a pretty good all-around package. Uh, and I think he has done a lot to move himself up boards to this point. Still early. We'll see what he does. But it's still good so far.
0: Yeah, UNLV is a very offensively friendly environment, and that's always mm-hmm. something that, you know, sometimes UNLV yeah. kids get knocked a little bit. but I will but,
1: say, when I was talking with someone, they specifically brought up the fact that he's hitting the ball with authority at other parks. Right, he went, to, I, well. exactly. he went to
0: Stanford, had a two-home run game, yeah. uh, you know, again, 12 at-bats, but four for 12, extra base power. So I, I think that's what's going to be important, is mm. continuing to show, hey, I'm not just doing this against Mountain West competition. In my home park. Exactly. I'm doing this against upper level, or, yes. you know, Pac 12 or, or good non conference teams he, away from home. He is
1: making the most of his opportunities. And, and just to, to outline what he's done, he's hitting 354 over 13 games with a .516 on base percentage and 854 slugging, five home runs, 16 walks, and nine strikeouts. I think one consistent theme you're seeing with all these guys is the walk to strikeout rate. These guys all have pretty good plate discipline that we're talking about here. Cameron Misner has 12 walks to 8 strikeouts. I think that's very important for teams now, kind of in this age with the analytics and just how important getting on base is. I mean, this has probably always been important, but uh, it is notable that all the the top four college hitters that we're talking about right here, very good strikeouts to walk rates.
0: Moving down a little bit, you hit on the pitchers a little earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned... You know, Nick Ladolo over at TCU, who was a high pick for the Pirates in 2016, mm-hmm. didn't sign. But there, there's a track record there. Zach Thompson, our lefty out of Kentucky, who was a 2016 draft. You mentioned the two high school righties. The most interesting guy in a lot of ways is Carter Stewart, just mm-hmm. because he was a top 10 pick last year. Got a lot of attention for just how everything went with the Braves. Ended mm-hmm. up not signing. The Braves do get a comp pick inside the top 10 this year yeah. because he didn't sign. Where is he right now just in terms of, of the pitcher hierarchy being now at Eastern Florida State Junior College?
1: Yeah, it, that one's tough because his first start was really, really dynamic, and we got great reports from that. Um, and he could have potentially been on kind of a top 10 track record. And, and for a while there, I was saying, you know, he's about to be our, our number one pitcher on the board. The starts that since then haven't been as good. Um, I've heard from some people that said the command was a little spottier. He's he's tinkering with a slider at times, not using a changeup that much. Curveball still looks great. It's still an outstanding curveball, plus plus. Uh, the fastball velocity has been solid. Um, but for him at this point, he really is gonna have to go out and dominate Juco hitters and really leave teams no doubt what he is. And his numbers are very impressive. I can pull them up in a second, but he's got something like 50 strikeouts, five walks and six starts or something like that. Like it's insane numbers, but I still think with him, You are dealing with, and it's tough It's tough because the situation with the Braves makes it difficult, but at the same time, he is healthy. He has thrown the ball every single time. So for the scouts, they're just going to have to go out there uh, and scout the player and let the medical people do their thing when the time comes um, and see what happens, see what they say. But he is healthy. He's taking the ball. He never had any kind of surgery or anything. So... It's a tough situation. We'll see. I think he's maybe in that middle of the first round, maybe kind of back of the first round at this point. He, he definitely has an argument to be in that top tier of pitchers. Maybe he's in that second tier of pitchers. Um, that one is tough because he does have stuff that kind of stacks up with most of the people in this class. It's just is he doing it as consistently as you want? Do the questions from last year, do those linger into this year for you? Um, or do you just say, no, I mean, this is kind of the picture that we've seen, we like him, uh, we're going to take him. So we'll kind of see how that one ends up this year.
0: It's always interesting to me to see how guys who don't sign and then they go back out, just how they're kind of treated. I I think Mm -hmm. some. it's always a different dynamic. Some guys who don't sign and they go back a year later, or in some cases three years later, The stock is way down. Other guys, it stays kind of same. It, yeah. It's just going to be interesting to see how these next few months unfold. I think he should still be unfold. considered
1: safely in that first-round range. I mean, he hasn't done anything to this point to make me think otherwise. Um, just a matter of how high he goes in this class is, is the real question, I guess, and the big one.
0: Wrapping up, not to wrap up on a negative note, but who mm-hmm. are some of the players that maybe entered the year with, with a lot of uh, – Excitement about them and mm-hmm. so far just for whatever reason it hasn't quite Started out the way evaluators hoped it would
1: yeah, I think we're talking about some pitchers here I think Graham Stinson is is kind of one he's his first three starts He's thrown three three innings four innings and five innings and like I mentioned the velo is down I mean he still missed bats the performance numbers if you look at just the the statistics at this point is still very good He's not pitched poorly uh, I think some of the returns from his stuff and just how well he's holding that and how uh, deeply he's pitching into games is a bit concerning. Uh, however, like I just mentioned, he's gone in inning longer every start. So maybe maybe Duke's just being very conservative with him, kind of stretching him out slowly, uh, getting him acclimated to that role. That might prove to be the smart thing to do. Um, at this point, you're kind of still waiting to see a little bit more from him. Uh, I think there are some hitters who maybe you're a little disappointed in that haven't hit the ground running couple college shortstops like Will Holland at Auburn and Logan Davidson with Clemson. They've struggled a little bit out of the gate.
0: Michael Toglitt at UCLA has also yes, struggled a little bit. I think
1: um, Chase Strumpf at UCLA as well. He, a he's, of been, guys. he's been
0: better, but yeah, there's out they West has been...
1: Yeah, they definitely haven't hit as much as you kind of would expect.
0: Blake Sable at USC
1: is another one. Yes, there are some guys uh, like that who, who just haven't been as good as you kind of expected. Um, let's see, just kind of going down through here, I think there are, some, there are some high school kids who just haven't played, haven't taken the ball yet, or dealing with either, uh, either not feeling perfectly comfortable yet, dealing with a few minor, perhaps nagging injuries, I don't want to speak to too many injuries that are, like, not exactly confirmed, so I won't name those players, but there are some players who just haven't gone out and taken it, and then it's still early, there are a lot of kids up north who haven't really started playing, a lot of high school kids that you're still waiting on. Uh, it's and much a lot more of other to talk about the risers, though, Kyle. Come I on. know,
0: but and the other thing too that that has come up as we've talked to evaluators is just uh, the odd weather in traditional yeah. warm weather states has really prevented a lot of guys from a either playing mm. games or if they do, it's a lot of stop and start, mm. not really allowing them to get into any kind of rhythm. We've seen a lot of rain in, in Southern California, Texas. Yeah. some. I was talking.
1: Um, how, I didn't know it was. I didn't know you guys were allowed to have rain in Southern California. Oh, yeah. What's going we, we,
0: we actually get a, a fair amount, and it's mm-hmm. actually welcome after years of drought. But, yeah, yeah it's definitely been a little more <laughs> acute than it has in, in previous mm-hmm. years, and I know that's affected the ability of a lot of uh, yeah. guys to, again, just kind of get into a rhythm and, and really either mm-hmm. – again, if they are playing, it's been very stop and start. Mm-hmm. So I think well,
1: another guy to mention, just talking about guys who, who maybe have slipped a little, and I don't know how much you make a guy like this slip, but Greg Jones at UNCW – you uh, can Wilmington here kind of in our backyard, a little bit further out, but he hasn't played shortstop a lot this year. He's been dealing with some shoulder soreness. Uh, I don't think it's super serious injury, but a guy who already had questions of whether or not he was a shortstop, not playing shortstop for the first few weeks, uh, it's not going to help his stock, obviously. Uh, so he's another one to kind of watch out for as we continue uh, moving through the draft season. And I don't know if you were trying to wrap up here but one guy I did want to mention who's kind of the pop-up guy of this draft cycle to this point is a guy out in uh, Southern California he's a third baseman out of East Lake High School named Keone Cavaco Uh, I hope I pronounced that name right but he's a guy who I had never really heard of prior to this week uh, and then was having some conversations with scouts out there and he's a guy who's seriously blowing up like he's going to go from not on any of our lists to very Possibly and probably likely a top one hundred guy. He's a guy with plus raw power in the tank. He's a third baseman with a plus arm over at third base, really smooth actions over there, um, and he hit recently at a workout at the Angels Stadium. So I'd imagine they're a team that has some more information than others, just because of the the trackman data you can get with that. But he's a guy. It's going to be fascinating to see how teams scout him and where he ends up going, because as far as I can tell at this point, teams have next to no track record on this guy. There's not a lot of history to be had with him Um, especially at this level. It sounds like he's made a really big jump. There are a lot of scouts going in to see him. Uh, A lot of directors going in to see him at this point. So if you like pop-up guys, it seems like SoCal always have one. A few years ago it was Michael Mercado. Uh, This year it's a hitter in Keone Cavaco and if you haven't checked out his swing or if you haven't seen him, like obviously I haven't prior to to this week uh, on Twitter, I posted some video and it's a really smooth swing, a lot of easy power from this kid.
0: Yeah, it plays at a power program, too. I mentioned on social media the other day, uh, Eastlake High School is Adrian Gonzalez's alma mater uh, back in 2000, but even just more recently, two years ago, Ben Ramirez, who was a draft pick, and and Casey Schmidt, who was potentially a draft pick but had a strong commitment to San Diego State. Last year, Grant Holman, another guy, Scouts Ron had a strong commitment to Cal. So, mm-hmm. And Eastlake's just a, a traditional power program yeah. that always has eyes on
1: them. Yeah, so. even someone who's not from the area or more familiar, when you hear Eastlake High School, you know you're dealing with a really good program. Yeah,
0: playing good competition. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see if he uh, can continue to mm-hmm. uh, keep that helium as, as the year goes on. But, Carlos, it's definitely a fun time. Uh, where, where are you heading this weekend?
1: This weekend, so again, we're dealing with some weather here, so it's going to be a combination either or of NC State to see Will Wilson, see some more bats from him, potential first-round pick, and then uh, I haven't put any eyes on the East Carolina hitters, so if they're still playing, I might uh, take a quick drive out there to Greenville uh, and see some of those hitters, Spencer Brickhouse, Bryant Packer. They've got a couple interesting arms as well. Uh, So local here for me, and then over the next few weeks, I think I'm going to try to hit a – Florida Vanderbilt series that'll be a very highly scouted series as it probably is every single year um, but yeah North Carolina and Tennessee here from me in the next few weeks uh, and obviously continuing to make calls around the country so it's 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 gonna be fun
0: absolutely all right Carlos well thank you so much for joining us today for Carlos Colazo I'm Kyle Glazer this has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast thanks for listening everybody